Good morning, everybody. I'm not Adam. Um, my name is Greg Enos. I'm a member of the elder team here at the church. I see uh, a lot of familiar faces out there and friends and other people who I don't know so well, but I'd like to. Um, Adam's on vacation right now. He'll be gone the next couple of Sundays. And uh, so we can... Uh, he's, he's traveled out to Colorado with his son, where his son Cody has taken a job out there. So they're taking a long road trip and having a good time. Uh, so Adam, if you're watching for any reason right now, it's kind of weird. You know, just uh, enjoy your vacation. But uh, we, can, we can keep them in our prayers while they're gone for safety on the road. Uh, when Adam asked me if I'd fill in for him one of these Sundays while he was away, uh, I told him no, I don't think so. <laughs> I said, uh, not a snowball's chance in, you know, but I, I don't know if you can say that in church. <laughs> but uh, he's got some tough shoes to fill. But uh, then I was thinking about it, and I've been learning some things recently that just might be helpful and encouraging to someone here this morning. I hope so. Let me tell you a short story. When I was invited to the elder team just a couple of years ago, something very interesting personally started to happen to me. I started getting copied on the Sunday morning prayer requests because in our meetings on Monday evenings, we pray about these very carefully, and sometimes we take a lot of time to pray for the prayer requests, and other people in our church pray for them too. And uh, as I started getting these week after week, they started to affect me somewhat deeply. You know, it's not that there's anything unusual about the prayer requests. We don't get that many, and it's nothing that anybody who's submitting the prayer request would like to ask anybody about to get prayer, but my eyes were just opened up a little bit as to the struggles that people go through, even in a small church our size. And I started to realize, you know something, this is probably pretty typical of any church our size throughout the whole area, and uh, maybe the whole nation. What about bigger churches? And I think... What dawned on me is that I think that all around us at any given time, people are struggling with hardship and pain and even suffering, maybe even more than we realize. So what I'd like to talk about today is why God allows hardship and suffering into the lives of believers. And I have a note sheet in the bulletin. If you'd like to pull that out, you can follow along. We'll get started, but... I'd like to pray for the message this morning first. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity for all of us to get together this morning and just learn from your word. I pray, Lord, that as I try to describe what I've learned and what I find in the scriptures, that it comes out accurately, clearly, without ambiguity. I pray, Lord, that somebody here today uh, would be encouraged by what we find out this morning. I do pray for Adam and his son as they're driving around and having a great time. I pray for safety, and I thank you for these things, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was uh, 20 years old, my cousin Guy, who was 18 at the time, was killed in a car crash. I can remember my cousin was sitting in the back seat behind the driver, and there were four of them in the car. They were all 18 and 19 years old. Uh, and when the car crashed, all four of the boys were killed instantly. 
I think it was considered one of the worst accidents in the Livermore Pleasanton area at the time in the newspaper. The thing is that they were all on their way home from church choir practice. Or it was some other church event like that. I can't quite remember. And I was out of state at the time with my brother, but I think that when the church held the funeral for all four boys, hundreds and hundreds of people showed up. And we asked why that sort of thing would happen. My wife Jeannie lost her dad when she was just 19 years old to a traumatic head injury. His name was Gary, and he was only 47 years old. Many of you have lost loved ones in this way too, and your life has never been the same. And it never will be, will it? Some of you have lost a wife or a husband and at a very young age, and maybe a child. What about divorce? You know, they say that divorce can feel as bad or worse than death, really, as you and maybe your children are treated in ways that you should never have to be treated. Many of you have gone through incredible medical problems. You know what it's like to go through the weekend and well into next week waiting for the doctor's office to call back to give you the news, and frankly, you're not quite sure yet when you find out what it is how you're going to be able to take it. Some of you have faced financial problems so bad that if one more thing happens to that car, <laughs> you don't know what you're going to do. You're probably just going to have to go deeper into debt. For some, it's been a certain relationship, hasn't it? You think about that person every day. And maybe you've been praying for years and years. And we ask why. Well, as Christians... We know that we live in a fallen world and there's evil all around us. I mean, uh, look at the four shootings that happened this week. Gilroy, a week ago today. And then we had Mississippi, El Paso, Dayton, Ohio last night. In all, I believe 30 people, 34 people have been shot and killed, innocent people, this week in these mass shootings. Imagine the suffering that so many families are going through over these. And they need comfort. They need comfort. And when this happens, it usually doesn't take long for people to start asking why. We get the Mercury News. I went out before work on Tuesday morning, and I got the paper, and this was on the front page. Everyone wants to know why. Why would someone do this? How could someone be that angry? Sometimes, eventually, the questions turn to God. Where was God? He's supposed to be a good God, isn't he? Why does he allow so much suffering to happen? And when the questions come, we should be ready with an answer because Christianity has answers, at least to some extent. God loves us. He really does. And he loves all of us. And all he ever really wanted was for us to love him too. And each other. But a forced love is no love at all. Right? Love needs to be a choice. So God gave us all a very good but powerful gift, the freedom to choose. Unfortunately, many people use this freedom to run around doing terrible, terrible harm to other people. God knew what could happen, and he knew what would happen, but it was a chance that he was willing to take because our freedom is that important to him. All this we understand, but... When it happens to us, we still ask, why didn't God just stop that bullet? 
that one or that car crash. You know, I think sometimes he does, but when he doesn't, and tragedy really hits us, and our heads go underwater, many of you know what, what I mean, I honestly don't know how any of us could ever really understand why in that moment. That's the part that is really hard to understand, isn't it? But there are a couple of things that we can know for sure. God loves us, and he will always, always love us. And God is, he really is ultimately in control over all things. The Bible is filled with data that tells us and supports, us, supports these things. So if he allows us to enter into a process of tragedy, pain, and suffering, it must be because he has a reason. God will use these experiences in some way for our good or the greater good. He has a purpose for it. And that's our, that's our message for today. The answer is that God has a purpose in our hardship and suffering. So what is he doing? Well, interesting, in the Bible we find as many as nine or ten different things that God does when these things happen. Quite a few books in the New Testament were written to first century Christians who were suffering persecution, and the writers were encouraging them. And they were providing information about God's purposes in suffering. We see it in James, First and Second Peter, Hebrews, First Thessalonians. Today we're going to look at three of these, okay? Three examples that God may be doing when he allows hardship into our lives. So for the first one, you can turn with me in your Bibles if you want. If you have them, we're going to look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And our first point is that God will allow hardship to develop our endurance, our character, and our hope. We look at Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 3. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. Now, let's, let's wait a minute right there. How do we rejoice in the face of disaster? Isn't that totally against our intuition? Well, Paul is writing here to Christians. We've already decided to trust God for salvation. So we have a joy already. We have joy already and hope because we know that we've been made right with God. We're not guilty anymore. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. So even as we enter into hardship, we can bring that joy into it with us. And notice that Paul doesn't say if, right? He says when, because we're all going to experience trials, aren't we? I, just out of curiosity, I want to ask for a showing of hands. How many of you here this morning would say that in the last one to two years, you've gone through something that has lasted for a while that was very traumatic to you, or you might be in, in something right now? How many? See? Look. Paul continues and he says, we know that they help us develop endurance. Hardship will develop our endurance, or some translations say perseverance or steadfastness. You know, these things can't be learned without going through hardship. So if God wants us to learn endurance, he's going to allow hardship into our lives. He wants to teach us something that can't be learned in any other way. That's why he's allowing this. And endurance develops strength of character. As we learn to persevere in our trust, 
in God. We're waiting on Him, and God has our attention. It's here in this place that God strengthens our character. Maybe we learn how to be brave or courageous or bold or patient, humble, to have more self-control. Why? Because when that's happening, we have to, don't we? Maybe we, we develop a kinder, more caring heart, greater empathy and compassion for others, maybe greater appreciation for the other people in our lives. And that's a big one for me because I have found that the older I get, the most important thing that we have in our lives is our relationships to each other. Isn't that true? And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Somehow, as the process continues, our hope gets stronger. How? Well, I think it's because sometimes God shows up in the midst of that suffering. I say this because James tells us in James chapter 1, verse 5, and he's writing to Christians who are suffering here, he says that we can ask God for wisdom. And the word there for wisdom, Sophias, is is intelligence or skill. So I think it means that God gives us a very practical information to help us through it. He may give us an idea. He may bring someone into our lives who has the right experience or good advice, maybe similar experience. And then when we see clear evidence that God is in it, we know that what's happening isn't random. We know He's doing something on purpose. And our faith and our hope get stronger. You know, personally, I look for the clues. I look for those little things that are just beyond coincidence. I don't think there's any, any such thing as coincidence anymore, really. Uh, look for those. You may see God in those. Sometimes we don't sense God in it for a long time, and maybe not until long after we've even been through it. But then when we look back, sometimes we see that he was there all along. And so the next time we go into something similar, we can remember that and our hope gets stronger, if you can follow me there. Some of you have gone through something with an amazing story to tell. That's another purpose that God may have in our suffering, by the way. You now have an eyewitness account about God's intervention in your life, and that's powerful evidence for the existence of God and who He is. How many of you have amazing stories to tell about something God's done before? Yeah, a lot, quite a few. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. There's Paul commenting on how much God loves us and that the Holy Spirit is always in us. You know, I've learned some very personal things from God through some hardship in the past. And I might be wrong in this, but I think it's okay to keep some of these things to ourselves. I mean, I share a lot with my wife and my kids, but not everything to a lot of other people. And I think Mary did this in Luke chapter 2, 19. Do you remember when she, quote, kept these things in her heart? For me, some of these experiences I've had where God has showed up are are very personal, and even if I try to describe them to other people, they may not really get it or understand it because God is connecting with something that may have happened to me a long time ago. 
And these are like little gemstones that I carry around deep inside me, you know, deep in my heart all the time. Some of these are just between me and God, and I think that's okay. And this is where we find our joy. These are experiences where God has been undeniably real to us in personal ways, and this happens in hardship. Some of you here today have been suffering with something for a while, and you may or may not have seen God in it, but you're somehow keeping your positive attitude towards life and your optimism. And I think that's an amazing example for the rest of us. You are, you are a wonderful example of Christian endurance and hope and joy. And whether you know it or not, God is using you because everybody around you can see you. Your life is a showcase for the Christian faith when you're that way. And there are many people in here who are just like that. So do you, do you see the connection? Hardship leads to endurance. And then we're forced to learn certain character traits when we're going through that. If we see God in it, we know he's doing something for a reason, and then we're encouraged, and it leads to a stronger faith, hope, and joy. God has purpose in our hardship and suffering. The second point might be one of the hardest points that I've learned for me because we can't get away from it, though. It's, it's very biblical. You can turn with me to Hebrews, if you want, chapter 12. We're going to look there. It's just a little bit before Revelation, right before Peter, towards the end of the New Testament. God may allow hardship in our lives to pull us back out of sins that we've started to get ourselves into. We look at Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 7. As you endure this divine discipline, and there's that word, okay, discipline. God will discipline us for personal sin that we've started to get involved in, but I wouldn't call this punishment. I'll explain. We read, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who's never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and you're not really his children at all. See, parents who really love their children, we all know this, they're going to provide some kind of discipline, right? And if they never do, well, they should. God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might share in his holiness. And there's our character development, once again. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. The result of this is peace. And a result of peace is joy, isn't it? Now, here we have the example of a loving father. Good parents are going to teach their kids self-discipline by letting them experience the consequences of their own actions, aren't they? And I think that's what discipline is, as opposed to punishment. And I think that's what, I think that's what God does. My wife and I love the ministry called Love and Logic. If any of you have heard of that, it's kind of like a focus on the family uh, and Dr. James Dobson. And uh, they have a website and a book. And the whole premise behind Love and Logic is that 
as you bring up your little ones, you carefully uh, give them more and more freedom to make their own decisions and choices, but then you also let them experience the consequences of some of those decisions and choices so that they can learn. Uh, suppose a child has stolen something and maybe he needs to return that and apologize. None of this is anything new, is it? Now, when the parents are very compassionate towards the child and they accompany them through that process, that becomes a very, very powerful thing. Now, if I want an example of any of this at all, I don't really have to look any further than myself. You know, for quite a few years in college and afterwards, I lived a pretty secular lifestyle. And time and again, God let me experience the very painful consequences of some pretty bad decisions. After enough pain, I finally decided that I just, I just couldn't do that anymore. I decided that I, I needed to make some changes in my life. Some of you know what I mean. Some of you have been through some terrible things, and you just decided that you need to make some changes. I like what C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Problem of Pain. He says we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. He says God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, and he does, doesn't he? But he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God may use pain and suffering to get anybody's attention, huh? Believers or unbelievers. So God may use hardship to pull us back from sin that we've gotten ourselves into. God may also use hardship to prevent us from getting into some sin that we might be vulnerable of getting into. Do you remember Paul with his thorn in the flesh? Nobody knows what that was. Some have speculated that it maybe was a chronic eye or vision problem, maybe migraine headaches. But in 2 Corinthians 12, he explains that God's purpose in this was to keep him from becoming what? Who remembers? Proud? Yeah. Yeah, Paul might have struggled with a temptation of pride. I mean, look at his credentials. He was highly educated in the culture of his day. He must have been brilliant. And pride might have been a temptation for him. I have another analogy for you. I like learning about World War II history sometimes. The miniseries Band of Brothers, it tracks the experiences of the 101st Airborne's Easy Company as they parachute into Normandy on D-Day and then tracks them on through the end of the war. I'm not sure how accurate the miniseries is, but it's loosely based on real people and real events. In episode two, they make the drop into Normandy and the company's captain is killed during the drop. So First Lieutenant Dick Winters is in line and becomes the company commander as soon as they hit the ground. At the end of the day, on D-Day, World War II, in which over 6,500 American soldiers are killed or wounded, the actor playing Lieutenant Winters makes a promise to himself and God. Take a look at this video.
Now, I'm not saying that our soldiers were engaged in any kind of sin and needed to repent. They were fighting evil, and I think God calls us to do that. They saved the world, but what I'm just saying is that sometimes when we've gone through something terrible, as these men did, then maybe the last thing that we want to do is go on to live a life of sin. After the war, eventually, the real Lieutenant Winters actually did buy a small farm outside of Hershey, Pennsylvania, and he made good on his promise. Now, it would be a big mistake to think that if we are suffering, it must be because of some kind of sin in our life or something we did, or that if we aren't prosperous, some sin must be responsible. And I want to repeat that because it's important. It'd be a big mistake to think that if we're suffering, it's because of some sin in our life. There are many, many other reasons that God allows suffering into our lives. Do you remember the blind man in John 9? Jesus' disciples said, Okay, Jesus, who sinned, the man or his parents, that he's blind? And Jesus said, he said, neither. It was so God's power could be seen in his life. And from that point on, that man had a story, didn't he? He said, all I know is that once I was blind, but now I can see. See, God has a purpose in our hardship and suffering. Our third point is found in 2 Corinthians. If you want to turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Third point is that God may allow hardship into our lives to prepare us to comfort others who are going to experience the same thing, to experience the same hardships. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll look at verse 3. 3 and 4. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. Isn't that interesting that He's always the source of any comfort at all? So if He's working through us, it's, well, if we're trying to comfort others, it's because He's working through us. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. You see, God may have huge plans for you in the future that you don't even know about yet, and He may be preparing you for that. These plans could include helping somebody else who's going to go through the same thing. You may one day be able to actually say, I know how you feel. And that's a very, very powerful thing. Think about it. Someday, you could greatly impact the life of somebody else, even bring salvation to them, their entire family for generations and generations to come. Years ago, I knew a uh, young lady at work, and uh, I noticed that uh, once or twice a week, she would always slip out right on time. And we were all friends. We all hung out. We usually hung out a little bit later after work. And one day I went to her and I said, what are you doing when you're doing that? Where are you going? And it turned out that she is going out to volunteer at a shelter for women who are escaping violent situation at home. And uh, talking to her a little bit more, yeah, sure enough, it turned out that she was in something like that. And so she goes there. Imagine these, these ladies, they've got to be scared to death when they walk in the front door of that place. But the first person they see is that gal sitting behind the desk. And she would be able to say, I know how you feel. And that's, that's what we need to be as Christians. Um, 
I'm not saying that when we're in the midst of suffering, we start looking around for somebody to help. Sometimes it's hard to breathe, let alone make yourself any kind of a decent meal. I know that. But sometime later, you might see God present you with some kind of an opportunity to help somebody else. And you know what? When I look out here, I'm looking at people here who know all about this sort of thing. There are so many people in here, all of you know what it's like to come alongside somebody else and offer comfort. Many of you are very, very experienced in this. This is, this is the friendliest and kindest church that I know. And uh, that is what it means to be Christian, isn't it? Well, God has a purpose in our hardship and suffering. So what do we do with this? I want to make two suggestions. We need to trust God. In crisis, we must cling to God's character as we choose to trust Him. We must cling to God's character as we choose to trust Him. Here's how. We know that God loves us, and He will always, always love us. And He is ultimately in control of all things. This is His character. And this, this doesn't change. It'll never change. You remember Job? At the end of Job, and it's a long book, when God finally spoke up, Job never really got an answer as to why, did he? But instead, he got a good description of who God is, his power and his character. We must make a decision to believe in God's character and hold on to that decision as we trust him. The, uh, the gifted writer Henry Nguyen, he writes... He writes of being thrilled with the circus when he was growing up as a boy in Holland, and especially the trapeze and the trapeze artists. Uh, and and he, would, he would go back to the circus every day they were in town, and he would follow them around, and he would get to know them. And one day he was sitting talking to the trapeze artists who were eating, and they took him in, and they were friendly to him. And one of them said, you know, in the trapeze, there's the flyer, and the catcher. And most people think that it's the flyer who's the hero, but it's really the catcher. He says, he says that all the flyer has to do is when he gets to a certain point, he lets go and reaches out his hands. And at that point, he can't struggle. He can't try to grab the catcher because if he does, he might break one or both their wrists. All he can do at that moment is reach out and wait and trust for his catcher to catch him. Many of you have been waiting for a long time, but cling to his character as you choose to trust him. Hold on to his promises. Jeremiah 29, 11 is my favorite. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In John 15, Jesus invites us to abide in him. And in verse 4, he says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, Be sure of this. I am with you even to the end of the age. We need to make all of this our theology of suffering before we get into suffering. Try to look for God's purpose. Many of us wonder about our gifts and our ministry. Maybe it's in the suffering we've been through. 
this could be your purpose for some kind of a special ministry for you, maybe even for the rest of your life. As for all the evil in the world, well, we know that one day God's going to defeat it. The Bible tells us the, the end of the story. Why hasn't he done it yet? We don't know for sure. But it appears from 2 Peter chapter 3, 9 and 15 that he's waiting for more people to choose to love him. Well, in, in just a minute, I'm going to pray and we'll go into the communion. Um, during communion, it, it might be a good time to take whatever you might be struggling with right now and uh, just remind God that you're going to trust him through it. Ask him to show you somehow that he's in it, maybe in a very personal way. He might do that. There may be someone here today, I don't know, who's not a believer, but maybe you want to be. Maybe you feel that God's been trying to get your attention somehow, and, and like I did, maybe you're ready to say, I, I just need to make some changes in my life. And if that's you, can I encourage you in that? So many of us have been there, and God won't let you fall. And then, and then maybe talk to someone here who you trust, even me, because we just want to celebrate with you and pray with you.